Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. Your perspective defines your truth. So one guy's standing on the left side and he's like, obviously this is a nine. And it's usually followed by some, you know, really, you know, uh, highly intellectual speech about how perspective defines our truth. And the, the sooner we learn this, the better off we'll all be. But the problem is, can they both be right? Can both of those guys be right? I know from their perspective, they feel like they're right, but could they both be right? So looking at the picture, if that was like some kind of formation on the ground and they're both out hiking or something and they see this in the rocks and they come up and they go, hey, that looks like a six. And the other guy's like, no, that looks like a nine. Then yes, they could both be right. But, because it would be no different than looking at the sky and saying, oh, that cloud looks like a bunny. No, it doesn't. It looks like a dog. But if someone wrote that number on the ground, the two perspectives don't any longer matter. The only perspective that matters is the person that wrote the number, right? Because then that would be the truth of what that number is. So the makers of UNO have solved this mystery. (laughs) Because they know... A nine can't be a six, and a six can't be a nine. They have different value. So what did they do? They drew a line underneath it. Okay, that's a six, that's a nine. No more arguing. Because here's the point. We might have a different perspective, and we might see things from a a different angle, and we might be really sure that we're right. You know, and, and that guy could be, both of those guys could have been right. It could have been a six, or it could have been a nine. So the makers of Uno said, you know what, we know that this has value because a six cannot be a nine, and a nine can't be a six, or you really can't play the game. It's not going to make sense. So let me ask you this this morning, church. Whether there is an actual heaven, does that idea hold value? Whether Jesus was God or not, does that idea have any value to you? Think about it. Is is God's word true? Does that idea have any value to you? Because to me, if those things are true, they are the most valuable thing that we can experience here on earth. So the point is, especially when it comes to God or biblical things, we need to worry way less about our own perspective of the truth and try to find out the intended meaning of the things that that we find in God's word. Or we could say it this way, the truth is not something that we construct by our experience, it is a treasure to be found. Amen. While we all might experience a little bit differently you know, than uh, things uh, than others, you know, we all have different life experiences, um, there is an absolute truth to the matter. And it's funny how many people in this world, they want to know the absolute truth about something. They want to know absolutely true, what's your evidence? I need to know this absolute truth. But when it comes to like religion, it seems like there's this free-for-all buffet where we just get to just make up our own thing. Like I said, if heaven's a real place, if Jesus was really God, 
If those things are true, which I believe they are, they should be the most valuable thing that we could experience here on this earth. When it comes to eternity, do you want to just trust your own perspective or do you want to know the absolute truth of the matter? You see, this has always been the issue with mankind. We'll see in our text this morning, Jesus makes an absolute truth claim about himself. It was a lot more difficult than trying to figure out if it was a six or a nine. He was claiming to be the Christ, the Messiah, the one whom all life flows from, both finite and infinite, the creator of all things, who created all things and sustains all things, and all those who believe he is who he said he is and can do the things that he said he could do would get not only the Holy Spirit, but get to spend eternity with him forever. He clearly explains in the context of that time exactly who he is, and there's a few different reactions from the crowd around him. And in fact, there will be five different reactions that we're going to cover this morning. Instead of seeking the truth, many just wanted to explain who they thought Jesus was from their own perspective. And that's exactly why the title of today's sermon is Perspective Versus Truth. Perspective versus truth. When speaking about extremely important issues, what's more important to you? Your perspective of the truth or what is actually true? Now, again, I could admit there's, we all have maybe a little bit different perspectives of truth sometimes, and that's okay. Like we all probably have way different stories of how we came to place our faith in Jesus, but that does not change the truth about who Jesus is, right? So as we get, get ready to get into our text this morning, I want us to, to kind of just focus on this question as we're going through this this morning. Church, do I seek, do we seek to find the truth, or do we seek to find truth in our own perspective? Do we try to construct the truth by our experience, or are we looking for it as a buried treasure? So think about that as we go through these verses this morning. We'll be in John chapter 7, starting with verse 37 through 53. Follow along as I read. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For who believes in me as the or he who believes in me as the scripture said from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water but this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for the spirit was not given yet because Jesus was not yet glorified some of the people therefore when they heard these words were saying this certainly is the prophet others were saying this is the Christ Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not scripture said that Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. The Pharisees then answered them, you have not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers or Pharisees have believed in him, has he? 
but this crowd, which does not know the law, is accursed. Nicodemus, he who came to him before, being one of them, said to them, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? They answered him, You are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. And everyone went home. If we took these 17 verses and we boiled them down into one main idea, we would get this. Sinful man will almost always choose his perspective over truth. Sinful man will almost always choose his perspective over truth. And church, who's sinful man? All of us. We are sinful. We are self-centered. And many times we're more concerned about who is right instead of what is right. Just like those two men arguing over a number on the ground. I'm like, really guys? You ever just consider you're looking at the same number upside down? But that's what we do when we care about who is right more than what is right. So let's break these verses down to see why this statement is true. Let's go back to verse 37. So on the last day, the Feast of Booths uh, is the Feast of Tabernacles. A golden vessel filled with water was marched in by the priests. And as they came in the temple ground, three trumpet blasts were sounded uh, to make it a joyous occasion. When the priests would march in the, peop- march in the water, they would march it all around the temple and the people would sing. And then finally, it would be offered to God as a sacrifice. So the water would symbolize the blessing of the upcoming rains for the crops. So Jesus, understanding that, he uses this opportunity to give a final invitation to all those in attendance to accept him as the living water. Jesus' words actually echoes, and they would have known this, being Jews at that time, Isaiah 55.1, which should be up on the screen for you. Let me read this. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. This is the message of the gospel. Look at it. It's, it's open to all who thirsts for the righteousness of Christ. All who thirst for his righteousness can receive eternal life, and it cannot be bought. It can't. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. How do you buy something when you have no money? Because it is a free gift. The wine and the milk symbolize abundance and satisfaction, and that's exactly what we find in Christ our Savior. The recognition that we have a need, we have no money, we can't purchase these things, leads us to approach the source of that, which is Jesus. And this is followed by the receiving of what is needed, which is salvation through his blood, through his sacrifice. This is the picture of the gospel. Jesus' invitation was centered on the fact that he is the fulfillment of that feast as the living water, the one who provides the living water that leads to salvation. Jesus was telling everybody in attendance, clearly, he is Messiah. Going back to verse 39, we could see that he's offering salvation to all who will believe. And if you believe, you will get the Holy Spirit. 
And as it says, the Holy Spirit was not offered to all yet. For Jesus, you remember saying in the Gospels to his disciples, when I go away, I will send the helper, which is the Holy Spirit. Well, Jesus had not yet been glorified. But he's telling them, believe in me, I am the Messiah, and if you place your trust and your faith in me, you will receive the Holy Spirit and eternal life as the living water. Which brings us to our first point, which is pretty basic and simple. Jesus proclaimed to be the Christ. Jesus proclaimed to be the Christ. Jesus is exactly who he says he is and could do exactly what he said he can do. But us as humans, we just can't get out of our own way sometimes, can we? We like to just muddy things up. Again, we're like those guys just arguing, is it a six, is it a nine? Because we want to make sure that the other person knows what we see from our perspective. Instead of seeking truth, we're more concerned with who is right rather than what is right. Jesus said in front of this religious, what he said was, was very clear, except for this crowd had an issue. That reminds us of our main idea. Sinful man will almost always choose his perspective over truth because that's exactly what most of the people in the crowd did that day as we get into verse 40. Now, as I said, there's going to be five different reactions, and it's broken down. So if you're taking notes, you can write down, here's our first one in verses 40 in the first part of verse 41. This is the reaction of the convinced, right? They were saying, oh, well, certainly he is the prophet. Others were saying he is the Christ. These were the people that were starting to take Jesus at face value. They laid down their their perspective, their opinion, long enough to just listen to them, and it seemed like they started to believe. Now, we don't know if they believed to the point of salvation, uh, but let's just say they had the best chance in the crowd. That's how I was when I was 27 years old and, and I became a believer. I kind of believed that there was a God. I didn't really like church. I thought church people were, you know, hypocrites and they just want to tell you what to do. And I, I, really, I really did not like religion. But something happened to me and at some point I laid that down, my perspective, my opinion of what I thought religion was long enough to just listen to Jesus. Hopefully that's what was happening in, in this crowd. Second, the uh, tail end of verse 41 and verse 42, the reaction of the contrary. We, we all know people like this. They, you know, they just like to argue. They just like to get into the thick of it. These are people that had some knowledge who the Messiah was. Today, I would kind of deem these people as the Jesus experts. You might have uh, run into them before. They're kind of spiritual maybe sometimes, and they'll even respect Jesus, but they don't believe he was God. You know the ones that know just enough about the Bible and, and you know, all these different things to disprove all the things that Jesus actually claimed? They take little bits and pieces from here and there, and they kind of piece them all together, you know, kind of just so they could feel like they have a really good point when they're discrediting who Jesus was. One of the things that they kept saying was, oh, well, you know, obviously the Messiah has to be a descendant of David. He can't be from Galilee. As Pastor Matt preached last week, Jesus actually was from Galilee, he, you know, from Nazareth. He lived there, but he absolutely was born in Bethlehem. 
And another fun fact, Joseph and Mary were both of the bloodline of David. I don't know about you, but it seems like someone was drawing a line underneath that six to specify exactly who Jesus was. Jesus' history as a man followed prophecy to the T. I guess those experts must have missed out on those fun facts. Probably because they didn't want to. They did not want to know the truth. They just wanted to be contrary. They just wanted to argue. Our third reaction of those are the reaction of the hostile. These are people in a crowd that they just get upset. They get angry. So a division happened, and they just wanted to put hands on Jesus and get this guy out of here. You know, we're, we're done with him. Today, I, I feel like those would be uh, our militant atheist friends. Those that just at the very sound of Jesus' name get angry. And uh, I would even call them religious zealots, even though they'll claim they're not. Atheism is a religion. You have to have faith that God doesn't exist. In fact, you have to have more faith than I feel like we do, because you have to believe that everything was created from nothing, and that takes a lot more faith than I have. But they don't even want to have a conversation about it. They just want Jesus to go away. And again, they had the wrong idea of who Jesus was. They were pretty clear about who Jesus was claiming to be, correct? If, if they were so angry and they were so upset because Jesus was blaspheming, what do you think the, the charge was? He was claiming to be equal with God. He was claiming to be the uh, creator and sustainer of all things. That's blasphemy. And yet I hear people say all the time, Jesus never claimed to be equal with God. He never claimed to be God. Well, the people that wanted to lay hands on him and have him arrested and eventually killed him thought he was saying that. Then, fourth, we have the reaction of the confused. We have uh, in verses 45 and 46. With these officers, that were actually temple officers, so they were very trained in, in, in the Jewish religion. They knew enough to know enough. But they were confused. They... they when they were asked, why did you not arrest Jesus? They said, never has a man spoken like that. They never heard a man speak like that. Well, maybe part of the confusion was because he really wasn't just a man. But they knew, they knew they were hearing something that was incredible. They, they couldn't quite put their finger on it, but they knew we can't lay hands on this man and arrest him. It's listen to what he's saying. He, he, as he proclaimed to be the Christ and have, you know, eternal life. He's the only way. What if he really is? They were confused. Today, I would peg this group as the religiously curious. These aren't really believers, but they, they know they're hearing something. If you've ever been around a group of people and, and you're, you're talking about Jesus or you're talking about the Bible, and these people are very interested. They're very interested in what you're saying. They're like, yeah, that, that kind of does sound good. That, that does kind of sound right. But you don't really know where they stand. They, they know that, that what they're hearing is amazing, but they just don't know if it's the truth. Well, at least that group still has hope. Because we get to our fifth group, the religious authorities, in verses 47 through 49. These religious leaders were losing their grip. They were absolutely losing their grip on this crowd. 
They were losing their control over the masses. Much like the militant atheists, they didn't want to even hear about Jesus, but they were even worse. Because of their religion, because of their religious authority, they were benefiting off the people. They were held in high regard. They were in the, 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 the high places and, 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 and probably wealthy a, a lot. And this Jesus was messing this up. He was wrecking what they had going on. This group, I would call, are false teachers of today. Those who, if they really preach the truth of the gospel, they might lose half of their 10,000 congregation. Even when godly men like Nicodemus came to these Pharisees, these religious leaders, and tried to deal with them, they didn't want to hear it. As we see in, in uh, verses uh, like 40, 48 and 49, they're, they're just saying, have, have you been led astray? No, 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 none of us like super smart people, none of us, you know, religious authority guys, we don't believe this junk. And this, this crowd, they don't know the law, they're accursed. And in verse 50, Nicodemus steps in. And he's like, oh, no Pharisee believes this? That's funny because I'm a Pharisee. But he was the one that came to Jesus before all this. And he sat with Jesus and he listened and he believed. And then he spits some law back at them to show their hypocrisy. He's like, oh, that's funny. So we don't know the law. Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? Our law doesn't condemn somebody when they don't even take the time to find out where the guy was actually born, right? Honestly, at that point, they weren't listening. They did not want Jesus to be the Messiah. So that's why it says, then everyone just went to their home. If they were seeking, they would have realized Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Jesus was from the bloodline of David, but they were clinging to their legalism, their man-made rules and their man-made laws so that they can rule over the people. They created a false sense of worship and, and, a, and a false God so that they could be the gatekeepers. That's what it was all about. Whether by innocent mistake or purposefully uh, clouding the truth, it seems the majority of these people missed the boat on who Jesus was. Simply because they're worried about self and not seeking truth. That brings us to our second point. Choosing to see what you want to see will cause you to miss the truth. Choosing to see what you want to see will cause you to miss the truth. And as I said before, who does this? All of us. We all do this to some extent. It's sin-driven. It's ego-driven. And none of us are totally free from this. That's why we have to guard ourselves against this. As I call Joe up and I, I begin to wrap up this morning, I want us to really focus on this as we go over our points this morning. Just focus on this question. When we read God's word or we hear God's word preached, are you forming an opinion with your perspective or are you seeking truth? Because the first thing we learned this morning is that Jesus proclaimed to be the Christ. Now, I'm not talking about just believing in Jesus as the Christ for salvation. I'm talking about this as an everyday 
thing. Jesus proclaimed to be our Savior. He, be, he, he claimed to be your Savior. Do you truly, truly believe that? Because if that belief is genuine, it's going to cause you to take action. It's going to cause you to think differently. It's going to cause you to act differently. It's going to cause you to do crazy things like love your enemies. It's going to cause you to have peace and hope in the midst of terrible situations. If Jesus really is who he says he is and, and really can do what he said he can do, where's the fruit of your belief? Jesus said you will know them by their fruit. If you are a believer, if you are a follower. If there's no fruit in your life that you could point to and go, yeah, here's some fruit from that belief, then maybe you're stuck in the rut of our second point, like some of us are. Choosing to see what you want to see will cause us to miss the truth. Now, don't get it twisted. All of us are in this boat sometimes. I'm not saying that I have it figured out or anybody has it figured out. Sometimes it's so difficult just to get ourselves out of the way and truly seek truth. Sometimes we just need to lay down our own opinions to see if they actually align with God's word. Understanding that something is true no matter what you believe about it. Think about that. Something is true no matter what you believe about it. I missed the truth of the gospel for half of my life, more than half of my life because I wasn't ready to lay down my own opinions yet. It wasn't until I realized that there was an absolute truth to this. There is an absolute truth to who Jesus is. There's an absolute truth to how our planet got here. There's an absolute truth to where we'll spend eternity one day. Those are all absolute truth. And Jesus wants you to know that truth. And you know what? It's free. It's free for all. Jesus says anyone can come to him and receive this free gift when they seek truth. Because when we don't seek truth, we do our main idea this morning. Sinful man will always choose his perspective over truth. Let's pray. Dear Father, praise you that you have made a way for us to know you. All we have to do is lay down our egos and lay down our self long enough to listen to your truth. Help our unbelieving hearts this morning. Even as your children, help us to see your truth every day so that we may follow you accordingly. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com. Dot com.